Welcome everybody to the Horrorcast. I am Dan Collicott and with me on this sunny afternoon is Colin Dibbin. Hi. And we are here to start with a fairly straight down the line topic and that is what are the best 10 zombie films ever. So we're going to kick off. Uh, The format as it stands is I am going to make a suggestion for each of our rankings and we're going to try and avoid spoilers. If we're going to do spoilers we'll try and let you know. But I'm going to make a suggestion and then Colin is going to tell me if he agrees with me uh, and then obviously we're going to try and discuss why we disagree or agree with each other. Number 10 in our list of the top 10 zombie films, Dead Snow. So Dead Snow, if anyone isn't aware, is a film set in Norway. Have I got that right, mm, Colin? I think so, yeah, Norway. Set in Norway um, in, in present time where a group of teenagers... So it was kind of like a sort of cabin in the woods style setup, but for some reason these uh, pesky teenagers uncover a a grave site of undead Nazi zombies. Is is that right, Colin? Have I got that? Yep. Uh, well, uh, I can't remember how they do it, but somehow they um, these Nazi zombies come back to life uh, from from under the snow. Yeah. Uh, under the dead snow, and. Um, and so offing the um, teenagers. Which is a kind of strange, because it's like, you kind of guess it has like a more Evil Dead style to it than, than your typical, the entire world gets infected by a virus, etc, etc. I think, yeah, it, it's one of those kind of unique, well, I say unique, it kind of came about when there was uh, a glut of Nazi zombie film. Was that? There? there was a glut of yeah. Nazi? Okay. I was also going to say, Dan, that uh, you know, you said that the Dead Snow has this kind of restricted um, location. Yeah. But Dead Snow Two, the sequel, I seem to remember, does extend itself, um, and I seem to remember there are also Soviet zombies in that one. Or I think, yeah, I, I think it, it's safe to say that uh, Dead Snow Two took it to a new level, where I believe an entire battalion. Did, did you ever use the word battalion? Probably not. Uh, but an entire battalion or army of undead Nazi zombies decide to march and attack some local Norwegian towns. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Oh, shit, of course, there's um, Zombie Lake, isn't there, from the 80s, which I saw recently, uh, like, really bad. Is it Jess Franco or...? Um... And that, that, had, that had Nazi zombies? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Well, Wehrmacht zombies, but yeah, <laughs> That's not split hairs. So hang on. So here we go. So here's more... Oh yeah, that was Outpost. There was Outpost 1 and 2, which again, surrounded by the the whole premise that one or other side had uncovered usually something like an old uh, science laboratory where, mm-hmm. you know, Josef Mengler or his, um, his other scientists had been... Uh, perfecting various gene splicing in order to weaponize the the dead and all those kind of things. It's interesting that they they tend to be, if 
foreign films on there. Is that right? They're all European or a lot of them. Yeah, I think I think Outpost might be American. Uh, but if I do, you remember? I think I watched Frankenstein's Army with you. Do you remember? Hmm. That? Don't don't remember it. Yeah, but yeah, Zombie Lake. There you go, nineteen eighty-one. Um, well, okay. So there's me thinking that this kind of was a, a late, well, a, a mid-noughties type of uh, breakout. But no, no, since 1981 there's been zombie Nazi armies. Do you remember it had... This... I, okay, this, I think, go on, I go think I remember that uh, Zombie Lake has this great line where a little girl... Um, so basically the story in Zombie Lake is that the, in the, it's set in the well, late 70s, like 1980 maybe... And forty years before, the, the the Germans had been there, and some of them some of them had been murdered and stuck in this lake. And I can't remember what triggers them their reanimation. But anyway, the daughter, no, the granddaughter of one of the uh, zombie Nazis, um, I think at one point turns to her mother and says a question about what do you do when your dad is a Nazi zombie. And it comes actually comes up on the subtitles, which is which is a great bit of uh, yeah. What do you do? Well, I suppose that is a bit of a conundrum, isn't it? When you yeah. find out, I mean, some of your lineage actually were Nazis, let alone Nazi zombies. Yeah, I always found that there is an obsession, or rather the other way around. We have an obsession with Hitler's obsession for the occult and Josef Mengler and all the various mm-hmm. kind of. Um, human experimentation that was alleged to have happened during the war, and I'm sure it did, um, which has obviously given rise to all these various different films which seem to be uh, telling us that there, there's various bunkers and buildings that are lying there in the snow, in, probably in Eastern Europe, that are full of um, science that can weaponise the dead, but you know, why not? <laughs> Yeah, I guess what's quite interesting about Nazi zombies is that usually there isn't much need to give provide us a backstory, <laughs> like you know, because well, as you, I guess, outpost does have the the outpost, the, the medical research center, but it's not like what's the Castle Wolfenstein or something. There's no need to. I mean, these guys are just you know their bodies are under the they're in the lake or they're under the snow, and you know when they come back to life, everyone knows they'll still be evil. Uh, that's a kind of given. So, we are saying that number 10 is a good place to put Dead Snow. Mm. But it's quite interesting to... I mean, why Why is it... It is a striking film, and but it's quite hard to work out kind of why. Yeah, I... Is it, it might be the snow. It, it could be, be the snow. snow. I think it, for some reason, and this this may be a bit of a controversial thing to say, the fact that it's a, a Norwegian film and the fact it doesn't quite suffer from the same fairly obvious American or UK uh, horror tropes, it sort of feels a bit different. It feels a bit fresher. Is it about tone as well? That uh, I seem to remember like Dead Snow 2 was quite comic. Yeah. Whereas Dead Snow, it's it's done quite straight, isn't it? Yeah. But, you know, uh, yeah. So the the conundrum would be the practical question is how would you deal with a, a bunch of Nazi zombies eating your friends? Well, I think actually you say that the first one was done fairly straight. I do remember there was a, I'm sure there was a scene where 
one of the teenagers inexplicably decides to go to the go a, a toilet an outhouse that's obviously then away from whatever wherever the the house they're all partying at and then I'm sure his girlfriend or another girl joins him to try and have sex with him in the toilet um and I swear that was done fairly tongue-in-cheek as the sort of you know the typical um horror element where you know humans do the most stupid and (laughs) you know and well predictably stupid things when there's there's peril and uh death around every corner that they're always going to have sex or in this case find the smallest toilet in the world uh, where they can be literally silently picked off without any of their <laughs> friends knowing. Uh, yeah. So I think for number nine, uh, and th- this is the tricky one because obviously we have the late great George Romero who introduced, uh, or maybe not introduced the idea of the zombies and the undead, but at least popularised them in in modern society. So I think... For number nine, I am going to go with Day of the Dead. Um, I don't know if you think... The the original, you're talking about the original. The original, yeah. Uh, the, I think there's been uh, many remakes. In fact, I think there was, there's, a, there's a, a remake that was done this year uh, called Day of the Dead Bloodline, hmm. um, which, I mean, you can tell by the title, it may not be worth seeing, but who knows... So, have you got Dawn of the Dead on your list as well? I do. Ah. A bit later on. Okay. But the, the thing about the Romero films, um, even though Dawn of the Dead is, you know, it's a superb film, I did feel it dated quite badly. As that's, in, that, that's shopping centres for you, isn't it? <laughs> well, even kind of... Because it has some sort of weird um, sort of protest feel to it. And also the fact that you get a load of hairy bikers just sort of <laughs> drive into a mall was a bit weird. So there, there's a lot of, I don't know, there's a lot of background noise that that sort of detracts from the actual, you know, the, the fact that there is this kind of zombie apocalypse happening. But Day of the Dead, the reason I like Day of the Dead, the reason I, I, I put it in there is is purely for Bub and... If anyone listening doesn't know who Bub is, he is an experiment, so a zombie who's being experimented on in a, I guess it's some kind of Cold War bunker, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So this is following on from the events of uh, Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead in a world where I think zombies have pretty much already taken over. There is this science bunker with a scientist who's performing various tests on a zombie he calls Bub. He allows him to listen to music. There's all kinds of weird and wonderful things where he's trying to see if, you know, the undead can actually perform human tasks, can respond in a human way. It's like a pet. I I, I don't know if you Mm. feel like he's kind of like this scientist pet, but he has quite a pure strange emotional bond with the scientist who's working with it's like a sort of father son thing and isn't there also a, a military there's a basically there a tension between 
the scientist who wants to kind of treat him well, basically, and the military who want to use him as a who want to weaponize him. Uh, yeah, that's exactly. The, that's the the more Perhaps. conventional drama of the piece of the piece, which, which, as you said, does make it sound incredibly um, like a Cold War film. Or it's a classic to play off in the between the yeah, the heart, the hawk, and the kind of more dovish person. Oh, oh, and of course, isn't back in fashion recently with uh, Shape of Water. Yes, yeah, of course. I never thought of that. The whole kind of the sort of sympathy for the monster angle. Mm-hmm. So I think as a number nine, well, do you think we? Is there any others you think we could could go there? Uh, oh no, I, I get it. I get it. I mean, I think it's interesting that you're saying that one of the issues that maybe Day of the Dead makes explicit what, what what is also explicit in Dawn of the Dead, like this kind of, what's the word, uh, like a, the, the moral of the piece or the, you know, the, the critical aspects of the story, you know. Um, you said it was like, it felt like, a, you said the earlier film felt like a protest. You know, obviously the way Bob is treated is not a good thing in the terms of the film, so. Well, I think, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm not going to try and make out that I am an expert on all things Romero and his films, but it always felt to me, if you if you compare a Romero film, or at least the, the early Romero trilogy, to a modern zombie film, is they're done for very different reasons. Like, I don't think Romero was was thinking in terms of the sort of schlock, gore, horror kind of viral spread purely on those terms when he you know when he was doing his his uh you know his zombie films there was very much an allegorical feel it it kind of reflected different things in society it was very of the moment i think there was um, a different agenda Mm -hmm. to to why he made those films and night of the living dead doesn't it would get called uh one of the greats of post during Vietnam it's one of the great anti-Vietnam war films and I guess you could say something there's a similar thread a thread to the later films no definitely now number eight on the list is uh, Ruben Fleischer's Zombieland you got taken hostage by a 12 year old well girls mature faster than boys she's way ahead of where I was at that age 12's the new 20 done please like you would ever use that thing. Don't kill me with my own gun! All those violent video games. Thank you. It, it was a film that wasn't an instant classic for me. I think I, I, I went to cinema to see it. I think this was probably the first time I saw Jesse Eisenberg in a film. Um, it was also, I think, and Emma Stone, yeah. I think it was the first time I'd seen those two uh, actors, Anna Abigail. Breslin, even younger then, in a film. And it, it kind of had uh, a very different black comedy feel that hadn't been, at that time, with most kind of zombie and horror films, it wasn't something that had been mined a lot. I remember thinking, yeah, exactly, like you said, that um, I remember going to see it at the cinema and thinking, was not expecting it to be as you know, comic as it, as it was. And I, to me, it didn't, it didn't kind of work, uh, but uh, but it definitely felt different then. 
I think the most memorable thing about it was is there's a Bill Murray cameo. I won't spoil it. But yeah, even now I think um, it's a strange one in terms of what they were trying to achieve because even now I don't remember if they were trying to join up with anyone or find out anything. It's like there isn't any central motivation other than survival, really. And and obviously there's, you know, it's inferred there's a bit of, you know, romance in there. But I don't know, there wasn't much going on. It's, 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 I seem to remember it's a bit like a road movie, isn't it? Yeah, like, that's true. Yeah. There's this long sequence on a, on a some motorway. Um, and, but they, and then they end up at this... Um, theme park. Theme park, and that's the, which is maybe Zombie Land. And Woody Harrelson's great. And, yeah, Woody Harrelson is fantastic. And it, it was quite interesting that they... Um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but they did a TV series. Well, they did a TV pilot. So yeah. Amazon Originals, uh, if anyone is aware, they do pretty much yearly, I think, or maybe every couple of years, they do a series of pilots for new shows that people then can vote on and decide if it's good enough to be an actual series. I believe the original uh, writers, uh, was it Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick, uh, I don't know if Ruben Fleischer was involved, but... But the original kind of creative team behind it, they did a pilot, pretty much recasting all the main characters, and it got panned. The fans absolutely lambasted it, and it was kind of a bit sad to see, because I don't think you can really judge an entire TV series on on one episode of something that's kind of hinting at what might happen, but yeah, uh, I think the the writers uh, were pretty upset about it, because they were like... They'd been trying to get a TV series off the ground for a long time. They finally got the opportunity. And then, yeah, there was a, a, a very strange fan backlash. I have seen the pilot. It didn't grab me. It didn't thrill me, but it didn't offend me either. It was kind of almost what you'd expect it to be. So I don't know why there was um, such an outcry. But they are doing Zombie Land 2. Ah, yeah. a movie. And yeah. Because yeah. I was going to say, it definitely feels like... It feels it has this very abrupt kind of ending, doesn't it? I mean, the theme park. It just felt like well, there could be a lot more. So yeah, come yeah. to know that that to see that they're doing something. Well, exactly. I think I think then yeah, there there is an expanded universe to it um, that's hinted at. So yeah, interesting to see where it goes. I've left it a long time, but yeah. Yeah, so, Woody Harrelson looks quite young, doesn't he? And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jesse Eisenberg still looks like Jesse Eisenberg, which is which <laughs> twelve. Is weird. Yeah, still looks twelve. <laughs> um, so number seven, I think, I think this is one for you, Colin. I'm not going to do any uh, any intro or commentary on this one because you are the Lucio Fulci king. Ah, well, actually, uh, Zombie Two is that also is that the same as Zombie Flesh Eaters? I believe so, yeah. Okay. So... Because <laughs> it's had many names, which is really This is the one confusing. that starts with the, the, the boat in New York Harbour. Yes. And it's got, oh, is that a zombie? No, no because this is where it's get, it gets confusing, because I believe Zombie and Zombie 2 are the same film, because Zombie 2 was marketed as a sequel, an overseas oh. sequel to... 
one of the Romero films. Okay. Almost like an unofficial thing. Ah. I believe that was how it's funded. It's something like that. It, it's something weird. Um, so I believe Zombie 2 has something like four different screen names for it. Ah. But it is definitely... I am, if I've got that wrong, then people, please, you know, let but, me know. But I, it, I'm definitely thinking of the one with the, yeah, the boat with the corpse or the zombie yeah. in it. And then the, a team of scientists who go somewhere exotic and sweaty. And, <laughs> yes. and so this, as you were saying earlier, this is the one with the, the shark and the zombie. Yes. And also the one with the shower scene with the, is that the, with the eye, the impaled eye? Yes, yeah. That's exactly um, it. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, I love, I love the look and feel of all these um, uh, Fulci films. Um, well, in fact, the Italian films from that era, I just think they look they look fantastic, and who gives a shit about anything else? But, um, <laughs> but I was saying to I was saying earlier that um, I recently saw Zombie Three, which. Uh, probably has another name uh, which I can't remember so is but, that Zombie Flesh Eaters 2 yeah yeah, yeah. aka Zombie 3 right but, but, which is another Fulci film filmed in the Philippines this time but it's interesting because it's um, it's one of these films that has been even Fulci uh, well basically he disowned it um, which is surprising because you know obviously these things are not about quality. I mean, if you put the two films together, I know they share lots of things and they lack similar things. Um, but uh, um, I guess what's fantastic about both Zombie 2 and Zombie 3 is, you know, production values, they they look like proper films. Mm. Um I think the Zombie 3 has a lot more location shooting, which I, I just always think makes things more lively. Um, they have a bit more scale, don't they, than a lot of typical, your more independent B-movies that get made today. It feels... I remember seeing that and thinking that... As you said, I mean, obviously Zombie 3 or uh, Zombie Flesh Eaters 2 has, has even more locations, which just shows mm-hmm. you that the level of kind of commitment to be able to do that. Yeah, and, and the production is cheap if you go to a, what Trump would call a shithole country. <laughs> um, of course, you know, you've got to, what I always think is that all these films that are made in the Philippines, they're made during the Marcos era. And there's that fantastic story about Marcos and his film festival. Have you heard that one? No, no. Apparently he... Marcos wanted to have a, the first ever so Philipp, international film festival in the Philippines. And he built this massive concrete dome to so house the, um, house the, uh, the, the, film, the, the film festival. And uh, apparently halfway through, the roof of the dome fell in on a whole bunch of workers. And wow. they were like, they had, like a, they had a month until the, the film festival finished. So somebody gave the, I want to see Marcos perhaps, said, why don't you just put some more, well, they basically lop off the limbs that are sticking out of the rubble uh, and just pour concrete over the, over, the, over the floor. So they end up with a sort of six-foot floor or something, solid concrete. But of course, it's so humid there that by the time the festival started, the concrete 
was was giving off like rotting fumes. <laughs> so, so hang on, hang on. So so rather they didn't bury the dead that had fallen. Didn't have time. Didn't have time though. <laughs> Just oh, didn't that, have time. That is amazing. That is I amazing. don't know whether the um, festival went ahead, but if it had, it would have been a fantastic place to uh, watch Zombie Three or Zombie Two, for that matter. I guess you'd be sitting there and you'd have um, you'd be thinking, oh, they've they've used some kind of special effects to recreate <laughs> the the smell of the scratch dead. and sniff. Yeah, scratch and sniff. Um, the other thing that's well, the look and feel question. Mm. Uh, I always think that like. Um, it's definitely true of Zombie 2 and um, that a lot of it is about uh, as a lot of the kind of re-release versions of these films point out that it's about the kind of calibre of the people who work on them or the, their, their history so you know people always mention about what's it how do you say his name Ruggiero Diodato who did like Hannibal Holocaust that um, you know he worked with like Rossellini Who's like you know, um, as as cinema studies people will tell you, you know, he's a classic Italian neorealist film director. So, and you, one assumes that every level of technician involved in uh, well, Zombie Two was, you know, the, the lighting is often fantastic, and uh, um, yeah, and compositions are usually always quite interesting. You know, blah, blah, blah. And of course they're slower as well, aren't they? I mean, they're, they're less cutting than there would be in like a, a, a Hollywood, even a Hollywood film of the same uh, era. And definitely, so American film, well, all films now. But, um, That's interesting. So a lot of the background talent, which learnt from the the key people, the key filmmakers of the era. Yeah, and the, the come classic, together and Yeah. Was it Cine Cheetah, you know, the big Roman studio? So, coming straight in at number six, we have Land of the Dead, which is uh, another Romero film. In my, in my mind, probably the last good Romero film, even if, I don't know, you can argue that uh, Island of the Dead and some of the other more recent films before his passing was still of a certain quality, but... Land of the Dead, um, I really enjoyed it because it's kind of set in the future. It has a very sort of, yeah, it has a very dark, futuristic tone. Uh, it stars Dennis Hopper as kind of the head of this um, city area. Well, it kind of surrounds this, this giant building which has been sort of colonised by the rich. Uh, it's all fenced off and then the the rest of the world around this, this kind of... Um, this sort of Trump-esque high-rise is the undead and there's obviously this underclass who who aren't able to to live in this building and live in safety who are doing the bidding of the rich and going out into the this kind of apocalyptic landscape to get various different supplies. So it, it's kind of, yeah, it's a very sort of nice play on sort of the, the class system and society and those you have and those you don't and obviously Dennis Hopper in typically sociopathic narcissistic form. We mentioned Bob and the fact that Bob starts to display various, as a zombie, starts to display various uh, 
human traits and memories in this it really plays out even more in that one of the zombies starts to realize that his kind are being brutally just shot and picked off well by humans really so he starts to sort of look after his his uh, zombie brethren so yeah that's interesting isn't it because there's so it sounds like there's a um, there's two levels of you know, there's the rich and they exploit in the first place the people who are going out outside the the um the building and doing all the dirty work and then but they're also exploiting the zombies yes so it's a a nuanced social critique it is it is yeah and it's it's Romero as well isn't it it's, it is yeah, Romero yeah. yeah 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 and for for some reason because it's quite Dark. It feels like one of the, the, the classic um, bad future movies, you know, like Total Recall and Robocop. It, it feels very much um, in that sort of space, mm-hmm. which is quite nice and a little bit, uh, a little bit different um, because the, the, the motors are different. I think, I think for some reason it's aged better, even though I think it's um, not, you know, it was released... I don't know when it was actually released. It's not. It's not. Um, it's not a film from the the eighties or nineties. It's more recent than that. But it, for some reason, I think every time I've watched it, I felt it aged better than uh, a lot of his films. I was going to say it's funny how when you were talking about it, it reminded me of like High Rise. You know the the recent uh, uh, sci-fi film. And it's funny how, like... Oh, the one with... Um, Tom Tom Hiddleston. Yeah. Um, and just that idea of, like, social, you know, critique or whatever, whatever you want to call it. And the way that that... It, yeah, that even in the noughties, early noughties, it was still possible to do, like, uh, they, uh, Land of the Dead, like, something set in the future that's addressing, you know, current trends in social life or whatever. But now it looks like maybe, you know, so High Rise tells a similar story without the zombies, but it has to set it back in the sort of alternative 70s. Yeah, in yeah. Order to, in order to make it realistic, which is... Which is funny, uh, strange. No, no. Yeah, I think, yeah. <laughs> Land of the Dead is 2005, so it's not, it's not really that old. But, um, yeah, it felt like it, it, it... I think it was fairly well critically received and I think it had a decent um, budget for a Romero film because I'm pretty sure the the ones he released after that were fairly contained simplistic low budget zombie films what happens at the end uh, is there a conclusion or is there because it, it's about zombies becoming sentient isn't it it kind of is yeah and, it, and it's the fact that that kind of rich and poor uh, high class society structure let's say that it doesn't end well for them so again it you know i think romero is very much saying that this this type of existence for humanity is is always going to fail even in the future i was thinking also there's a you know if, if the whole idea is if the sort the the trajectory is about you know first there's bob and then there's sentient zom- zombies then it's a bit like the whole kind of machine thing. Like, so fear of the zombie is the same as fear of the machine because what people are really worried about with machines, you know, um, 
at least as far back as Terminator is, you know, is that they become sentient. Mm. So it's funny how the ultra stupid and the ultra clever seem to mix, uh, well, come together with our fears. It's also, I think, in, is it Mega Man? There's, there's a few films like that, which okay, aren't zombies, but it's the, it's, it's when they switch it around and the humans and the monsters and whichever kind of mm-hmm. new species that have emerged, turns out that what you fear and what you think is an inferior, we demonise them, we, we, we treat them like monsters. Probably, probably how, uh, you know, the West in general, especially the Americans and the British uh, used to, uh, or still do, treat um, countries that don't have democracy and that it's somehow bad that they, they don't conform to the same sort of society archetypes that, that we, you know, we've adopted and that we think everyone else should have. And I guess also, like, um, you know, there's that whole thing about, like, what they call emergent properties. So, like, zombies have a hive mind insofar as they have any mind that's a collective notion of you know uh, of sentience and isn't that supposed to be the same as you know machines that they have this oh, interesting yeah, yeah. parallel processes and all that you know um, but it's actually interesting you should say that because we'll work, I'll come to it in a second but it's how different directors and writers treat the the idea of what a zombie is and what a zombie does and how it acts. Mm-hmm. Um, but just a really quick one to get out of the way uh, because I think it's, it is it is uh, fun, populist trash. But the Dawn of the Dead remake by Zack Schneider um, to me is the, the first film, before we had things like World War Z, uh, was the first zombie film which actually had a decent budget a decent cast. It was actually treated like this is a Hollywood movie that's going into cinemas, and therefore, even though uh, when I rewatched it, it it wasn't as good as I thought it was. You know, it it, it still dealt with uh, the the source material with with reverence, even if you know it still worked. You mm-hmm. know, the whole shopping mall and and all the kind of. Um, tropes that were mined by Romero in the seventies and mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. it kind of yeah, it felt like it, it, it was almost like an update. You know, there's some really good moments, I'm not gonna spoil them, but um it's a very fast pace and uh very well put together film. I don't know I don't know what would happen if it came out now, but at least it, it was something a bit different back then. Yeah, I think it's true that uh, it I remember it looking really good and uh it's, to go back to Romero, it's often the problem in these films that when you see them now, they do look a bit kind of cheap. Yeah. Um, and I guess because they were, you know, relative to everything else that was being made at the time. By um, Yeah, so definitely things like, I think, yeah, Dawn of the, the original Dawn of the Dead does look, yeah, it just, it looks, yeah, a bit low budget. Maybe they were just keeping all the money for the, for the bits in the shopping centre. I think, I think if, if I remember, the, the, the funny thing about both Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead, is that they don't use any real zombie uh, prosthetics or, or or what you would call more traditional makeup. It's almost just people that have been powdered with a bit of you know white blusher, 
rather than the rotting and decaying undead, which you often get in a lot of you know films where there's shambling corpses, they just make them look like they you know I think Romero made them look like they just sort of walked out of their own funeral, so they've obviously just been embalmed and made and made to look a little bit more human but they're clearly dead like the mate uh, and it's just cheap i think it was just because it was cheap to when when you've got thousands of extras to not have to you know have all this kind of um synthetic makeup and the um except for the guy the zombie who famously gets his head chopped top of his head chopped off by a, a helicopter Heli- plane. <laughs> yeah not this famous special effect but it's funny because the yeah isn't in the original the, the whole idea of the shopping mall with the with the with the um, Muzak playing? It's I think it's already seen as a as a sort of passé as something from the past in the in the original film, isn't it? Because well, because there's that famous line, isn't there, where some of the characters, you know, somebody says, "My God, why why are they all here? What are all these zombies doing yeah. here?" And the reply is something like, "It was a really important place to them when they were alive." <laughs> which already puts the shopping mall in the part like you know it's a, a place for the dead uh, yeah well it is I mean I think you know you know Romero it was was always obsessed with this whole uh, you know humanity is this kind of horde of mindless drones going to work listening to adverts on the radio or on the TV and then going to buy what they've been told to buy, when they've been told to buy it. And even in uh, Land of the Dead, the, the zombies that are in this kind of, um, this no-go zone where they're, they're literally, they've been left to their own devices, whereas, you know, humanity is kind of holed up in these little um, uh, enclaves where they've put fences up to stop the zombies from coming in. You know, even then, like the the main character in in Land of the Dead is a a petrol station attendant, and at the start he's still doing the same thing, as in he's still trying to, he he's walking out on the forecourt, picking up the pump, expecting to put it in a car. You would imagine it seems like Romero is very interested in the whole monotony of existence and the whole, um, you know, futile nature of capitalism and and the way we live our lives, you know, effectively mindless idiots, which is uh, yeah, pretty true. <laughs> to, to go back to the Zack Snyder remake of Dawn of the Dead, it has that fantastic opening, doesn't it, with, the, um, with basically the, the child. Uh, yes. That, that's really nicely done, as well as all the stuff you were, we were all expecting in the shopping mall. Well, the, yeah, because there's, there's, there's right at the start, I think, I think that was actually... Just after the bit with, with the uh, the quite gruesome bit where the child attacks mm. uh, the uh, I don't know the lady played by Mackay Pfeiffer and her husband, Bef- just after that there's what could only be either a very high crane shot or a helicopter shot of a car being wiped out by uh, a tanker lorry, which is the first moment where you go wow okay so someone actually took the budget seriously enough to do to do something that you would only really see in you know the big money fairly dumb action film so that's pretty cool so steaming on to number four i know a lot of people uh, zombie land is their their favorite zomcom 
Also, many love a good Zom rom-com, and I'm, of course, talking about Shaun of the Dead. So, before I talk about, you know, this and the Cornetto trilogy and etc., etc., Colin, what are your feelings? Yeah, uh, I don't really do comedy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I liked it, I liked it, but it it was likeable, but I'm not a big um, Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright, yeah, and Simon Pegg and... yeah. I haven't got a sense of humour. Well, I can actually say with complete honesty, I went to see this with my parents because my my kind of interest in horror films sort of really originates from my mum growing up watching uh, a lot of the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street films and then all the fairly low-rent Sky Movies horror films that were were put on uh, pretty, pretty much every day you could watch. But I took her and my um, my stepdad to see it, and I think they literally despised every second of it. <laughs> so even from my point of view, it, it ruined it because if you know you're you know you've taken two people to the to the cinema to see something that you were enthusiastic about, it completely ruins it when they literally have a uh, you know a face like a bulldog licking piss off a stinging nettle for the entire movie. So. <laughs> Well, why didn't they like it? Because uh, they have no sense of humour either. Oh, okay. I, I don't know. I, I don't, Same reason as me. <laughs> I don't really understand it. But I, I remember at the time, it didn't feel like a cinema film. Mm-hmm. Like, I did not I did not enjoy it. I did not... I don't know. I, I, I didn't have a particularly good experience. And then it was only when I re-watched it again that I really sort of appreciated it. Because there's a lot of layers, there's a lot of things that, that uh, I don't think it's going to be a spoiler if I if I if I tell if I tell you that virtually all the zombies you see throughout the film appear in an unzombified version at the start. So there's quite a lot of lot nice layers and little nods to things that you know come up later. And I don't know. It feels like it's one of those cult films, which is just. You can literally just kick your brain into touch and watch Shaun of the Dead, and it, it, it it's always going to be fairly entertaining, even if it's not. I don't know. It's certainly not one of the, you know, the all-time greatest films. I just think the the thing you know about it is, or you feel about it, is that Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, you know, they love that genre. They love that those films, and they have, if you you look throughout, taken quite a lot of care. In, in presenting zombie markers throughout. It's a bit of a controversial one. Go on, Carl. Yeah, it, it's also nice to see, you know, and it's a very English take on on, on the zombie, isn't it? And, uh, this is that, true, that's yeah. Good. That's, I mean, that, that's, that's nice to see, for sure. <laughs> but I think you're right. Maybe it does work better on, like, at home. Yeah, because I think I watched Spaced a long time after most people have watched it. So I was never a hardcore fan. It was like the 90s, was it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I late think 90s. late 90s. Um, so I never really watched Spaced. But you, you can kind of tell that, that this is very much an extension of that. And certainly the, the, the whole reverence for the pub and the mm-hmm. concept behind going to the pub and the concept behind... You know, it almost takes what Romero's saying in the, the routines, the fairly mindless routines that we do and sort of says, well, look, we're British, you know... We, we love eating Cornettos, we love going to the pub, you know. So it's kind of nice in that sense. Mm-hmm.
hard for me to put this at number three because uh, it is it's probably one of the, the the films that reignited my love for the zombie and that is of course uh, 28 days later Colin yeah no excellent no, um, yeah I must say it's, we were just talking about English uh, zombie films and this is the other the other ones no? I mean yeah superb um, lots of nice locations and Cillian looking lovely as ever <laughs> with his big blue eyes yeah and uh, yeah there's there's lots of fairly God unnecessary on the sound Godspeed you Black Emperor on the soundtrack exactly but not on the soundtrack uh, recording oh really yeah interesting well there's um yeah there's also lots of of Cillian uh, penis shots as well oh is there yeah he spends mm. a lot of the the first few minutes of the of the film in Nip so uh, if you you are Peaky Blinders and Killen is it Cillian Murphy or Killen Murphy fans uh, yeah uh, check that out mm. the the thing I, I loved about it I don't think I'd been living in London that long when uh, 28 Days Later came out the funny thing about it was there was a really awesome poster campaign that was all in the tubes. So yeah, this was... Was I even in London by then? But yeah, it was about two, 2002. And they used a very anime, sort of manga-esque uh, posters. And it was very, you know, very cleverly done. And it, yeah, it just looked different because you didn't know... You know it had, had a look of a very sort of uh, a comic to mm. it. I think one of the best things, and it's something that you kind of see all the time now in films, but it was one of the the, the few uh, apocalyptic films that I'd seen where they'd obviously, you know, they'd, they'd got huge parts of London, or at least made it look like huge parts of London were completely deserted. Yeah, absolutely. And and I thought that was that was amazing because there's there's nothing more haunting than seeing something that should be this sprawling populace of commuters and and other kind of activity on a daily basis and to see it completely deserted and uh, apparently they they filmed at night and they had to artificially light the background and all these all these techniques isn't there um so as well as uh is it waterloo bridge or um in a key sequence where um that's when you realize well both the main character realises and the audience realises that, oh my God, there really is nobody in London. But then there's also the, is it the Hawksmoor Church in Spitalfields? Yes. I think that's the other. Yeah. So it's got a very clever use of... Um, location. Yeah, locations. No. And then again, it, like it doesn't, it, a lot of it is referring back to, it's quite, it feels quite gritty. It's, a, it's funny, I didn't know the story about the anime style posters, but everything else about it is quite so gritty and seven it's a bit like what's it called survivors or something like that? and there's quite gritty yeah um, it definitely got a much darker film. i mean when, when i say you know that the, the posters were were quite dark as well it, it looked you know it it was just a very cool artistic style that they'd used to promote um a film rather than just very generic posters they literally had a se- series of them going up on the side <laughs> of the tubes because obviously it, you know, they show different parts of London. I think the first half of the movie is, yeah, the cinematography, as we've discussed, is incredible. The fact that, uh, you know, the, the actual weight of what's happened and how it's happened 
is quite amazing. I think the second half of the film, where it's Christopher Eccleston, he's still wonderful in it, he's still fantastic, but in the in the military barracks mm. and it, it all goes a bit all goes a bit tits up. <laughs> but even the, the, the tone of the movie shifts a bit. It, t- it kind of comes back at the end. Mm. But I do think that, um, yeah, the, the, the choice to have the second half of the film set in one location was a bit, I don't know, a bit of a disappointment at the yeah. time because you kind of, you're invested <clears throat> in this, this, this kind of deserted, this undead England, if you like, and then you kind of end up being holed up in this one place, and then everything happens in this one place. So, it's a, I did, I did remember at the time finding it a little bit disappointing. But that, that, that's as we've been talking about that. Those are two sort of elements of the tradition, the zombie tradition, aren't they? The, <laughs> yeah. The kind of road movie element and the and the so sort of claustrophobic, um, the military installation sort of thing. Uh, it, true, so it, it's capturing all that, isn't it? And I guess to, to go away, it's also like a bit like Day of the Triffids, you know, the beginning bit, um, isn't it? With it, with the you know deserted London and that sort of thing. Uh, so yeah, it's harking back to lots of traditional elements. And the yeah, the military. Ins- well, the thing I always remember is that fantastic shot, um, which is just somebody looking up at the sky, and you get a shot of the sky. And there's a vapor trail going across it. Yeah, and it's like it—it's it, a key element because it makes <clears throat> the characters who are still alive realize that they're being fed to lies by the, the authorities. That, and it's, but it's it's fantastically done. Like it, yeah. cha- it changes kind of everything. Uh, in fact, it might be what turns the second part of the film into the third part. I can't really remember. I don't remember it that well. But 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 it is—it's a key moment. And it's so simply done. Just with a shot of blue sky and a paper trail. I think also one of the one of the things that is probably most important about this film, which divides a lot of zombie fans, is the difference between rage zombies and the normal shambling undead. In that, obviously, uh, this was the the first let let's say the, the the first commercially successful film, at least. That had the undead that that would run, scream and run at you and just not stop until they'd attacked you, and it was that kind of difference, that that kind of amped up level of threat that you didn't have in a lot of other zombie films because ultimately, if the undead were either climbing out of their graves or or they were fairly, you know, whatever kind of condition they were in, it was fairly shambolic. It's not as if you couldn't outrun them. I mean, even in if you think of modern TV series like Walking Dead, it's a war of attrition. You can outrun them. You can usually outsmart them. But 28 days later, the, the, the concept of the rage zombie was, yeah, was quite new. And the fact that you could get infected and literally within something like, I don't know, 10 seconds become... Uh, an infected rage zombie was was quite cool, and and I remember seeing I I, I knew of the film Rabid by um, Cronenberg David Cronenberg. I watched it for the first time about I don't know three or four years ago just to see what the what the connection was to Twenty Eight Days Later, because there are actual 
zombie-like creatures. It's not really the same, but uh, you know there there are similarities to the zombies in Twenty Eight Days Later. Yeah, the the speed thing is interesting, isn't it? Because uh, I guess like in the when you have your shambling zombie, I guess the fear is that you're maybe there is a you're usually in a confined space and they might have a living dead. Actually, they're trying to stop them breaking in, aren't they? But yeah, you're in a confined space uh, and the shambling zombies are outside trying to get in. Whereas uh, with Twenty Eight Days Later and the whole the, the the raid zombie in general, well because of the because of their speed. The whole of Britain becomes a claustrophobic place. Yeah, totally. And and the fact that they can change that quickly. I mean, it, it makes sense because if if the infection rate is that fast, then obviously you don't get that. You know, technically these aren't zombies because they don't die. Mm-hmm. Well, or they don't make reference to to the death. Whereas in if you if you look at things like um, even even the remake of Dawn of the Dead, if you look at um, quite a lot of zombie films what happens is the virus kills the body so someone dies and then they come back to life whereas as far as i can tell in 28 days later they get infected through i don't know getting bitten or blood or you know you know what however they get exposed to the bodily fluids of the infected and then within 10 seconds they change and become so they don't there's no sort of transition where they die, come back to life, and then start trying to eat people. It's literally within ten seconds they are mm. infected, and they, you know, and then they're trying to bite people. And in twenty eight days, sorry, twenty eight weeks later, mm-hmm. um, you know, you have a, a woman who's a carrier, but she's not. She doesn't have the actual symptoms of the rage. You also have Robert Carlyle's character who. They, they make out that he is genetically predisposed to want to kill his own family, <laughs> which I never really understood because um, it's like, okay, so now, now we have a rage zombie who has this... No, not only do all rage zombies just want to kind of spread their own virus because that's usually the point of what a virus is. They want to survive and they want to spread. But in this case, he, he really aggressively wants to kill his own children and that, yeah, I think that was a, a step too far, <laughs> in my opinion. But, yeah, not a terrible film. And lastly, meet Mela. <coughs> Mela? Jim. <coughs> Jim. Mela. Got infected two days ago. Mitchell managed to knock him out cold and we got a chain round his neck. <coughs> Keeping him alive. The idea was to learn something about infection. Have him teach me. And has he? In a way. He's telling me he'll never bake bread, plant crops, raise livestock. He's telling me he's futureless. 
And eventually, he'll tell me how long the infected take to starve to death. because it feels like there's about 400 edits of this. The, they, they remade it in colour. So to, to the original that I've seen and that I'm aware of is black and white. There are various different edits of that. They've, re, they, they've remastered it. They, they then did a remake in colour. So it, mm. it gets a bit confusing. It's a little bit like George Lucas and the original Star Wars films. But there, is there a colour? There's a colour version of the uh, original film. Like a coloured version. There, there might be, yeah. uh, possibly. It get it gets really confusing because there's there's definitely a colour remake. Okay. So he did did a colour version of. <clears throat> I think there's also an issue that um, I believe I hope I've got this right that he didn't have he he never copyrighted it. Yeah. So the first uh, Night of the Living Dead was never f- properly copyrighted it. So I think he. This is why he had to make it again in colour. Okay. And then copyright. There's some kind of story around that. Um, But yeah, there are there are there are quite a few different versions and remakes of it that Romero was actually involved in. So it's quite a strange one. But I, for my part, I, um, I mean, I know that it's it's got a huge reputation, but I I find it it's so claustrophobic. I find it quite difficult to watch. Mm. It does have quite a grisly, it has quite a beautifully uh, grisly, dark ending, though. Yeah, yeah. The, the best. I'm, we won't spoil it. But it, as we were saying earlier, it's the classic people, basically, after the first half hour, it's just a whole bunch of people stuck in this house, fighting off zombies who are outside. Uh, and then you have um, a typically um, overzealous military response to that, or is it the police, or is it the military... Okay. It's definitely, I believe it is the first first format of zombie film where the undead come out of the graves. Is that right? Is that? Yeah, I'm not quite sure. I was going to say the one thing we haven't really um, refreshed our memory on is like all those kind of, there were 30 zombie films, mm-hmm. haven't there? Well, because um, there were so many films that referred to zombie as the the, the kind of voodoo yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, where where often people were buried alive and, and, and were given lots of various different hallucinogenics mm-hmm. and then, you know, would rise from the dead. Or There's a lot of things point to that the fact that people didn't know what a coma was, mm-hmm. so that a lot of people who were obviously in various types of coma uh, could be, again, buried alive and then come back to life because they come out of the coma. So, yeah, I was, yeah the, the classic one from, I guess, the same year... I think Night of the Living Dead is like 68, is it? Or mm. What about um, you know, the Hammer film, Plague of Zombies? Is it set in Cornwall? It's about a guy who resurrects people to work in his tin mine in Cornwall. So that, I guess that would be just a classic. 
exploiter of, of, of <laughs> labour. And that's 66, two years before. Wow. Wow. Um, that's, that's, that's pretty impressive. But there are these shots where you see the guy has all these zombies who look very much like voodoo zombies. I did not know anything about that film. Yeah, yeah as you said, it predates. Yeah. Mm. So that's incredible. And there's a great bit where um, the main character, who's this very English Tweedy type, um, they're in a churchyard and somebody appears, one of the uh, zombie appears, and he swings, he goes, Zombie! And then so wields a, um, that's a grave digger's uh, spade. spade and takes the zombie's head off. Impressive. Well, that's interesting. Plague of Zombies, 1966. Director John Gilling. Oh, yeah, that but then that, I guess that so that that sort of film harks back to I Walk with a Zombie and all those kind of thirties. Because White Zombies, the White Zombie, yeah. Very, but yeah, that was nineteen thirty-two. Uh, it's about a young woman's transformation into a zombie at the hands of an evil voodoo master. Yeah, so it's quite it's quite interesting. Mm. I mean, we will. I think we'll have to do a podcast on the traditional origins of zombies and how they were kind of adapted to conform with modern well uh, I suppose modern society when it was when these films were first created but yeah it, it is interesting how the obsession for the undead grew I was going to say isn't it the, to go back to um, the the first Romero Night of the Living Dead mm. it's quite funny how when you look at it now the 1968 was famous for this violent fiasco at the democratic convention um and it's amazing how like these shots the final sequences look like something from um there's another a newsreel uh, yeah, yeah yeah and they look exactly you know the student unrest and the way that the uh, national guard was shooting people and beating them up and stuff and so what's clever about night of the living dead is it looks like, yeah, the footage of, of the time. I mean, I'm surprised. I mean, God, the amount of fake news and um, the way information is disseminated across social media that you could easily fake a zombie apocalypse. It makes you hark back to the strong responses of the, uh, the authorities to uh, outbreaks of this, that and the other, as seen in, you know, I mean, all the fake news nowadays. Yeah. And pe- people wondering about what, Focus group A and B will will do if 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 your government does this or that. In those days, the uh, the, the national guard went in and uh, got some hollow hollow round hollow point bullets in their guns and made whoopee. The good old <laughs> days. The good old days when there was order. <laughs> so I think. We are now at number one on our list, and it's fair to say that I, I actually chose this because I wanted to pick uh, a fresh, interesting new take on a well-worn genre. I've gone with, I believe it's uh, South Korea's highest ever grossing film hmm. in cinema. And that is Train to Busan, which, I don't know, Colin, do you want to take it from here? So, largely takes place on a train. It's a zombie-infected um, 
making mischief. But uh, no, it is a fantastic film. And, and what I really like about it is, um, is that, again, it, it addresses this issue of claustrophobia, uh, in this case, the train. Um, but it's really inventive with what it does with... So supposing you were on this train faced with lots of zombies in a carriage. And there's all these like clever uses or explorations of like the space of well, not just the train, but there's a bit where they get off at stations and everything's kind of, what's the word? So geographically, topographically kind of well used, like yeah. the spaces, you you become aware of different spaces and uh, channels and in, in the, well, in, in, on both the train and on in the, on the station, yeah, and they're, they're actually so they feel like real places, and uh, yeah, I was really impressed with that kind of that side to it. I mean, yeah, you know, uh, a, a rage zombie is a they are rage zombies, I think. Pretty much, yeah. I a mean, it, a rage it is zombie. like I mean, it is like twenty eight days later on a train. Yeah, in a sense. Yeah, but yeah, as you said, it, it's so well structured and, and the actual characters and and the kind of story that's driving the main protagonists which i believe is one of them trying to get to their child is that right yeah i think so yeah but it's again it's probably probably what makes something like um dead snow so interesting um and other kind of um uh horror films set in kind of really kind of um uh, well, I guess not luxurious, but but very uh, stark contrast uh, locations to a lot of the the kind of um, the mainstream stuff we see is that you know it, it is set in Korea. You know we are seeing locations and we are seeing actors and and scenarios that are probably more you know a lot more typical than we think, but just handled in such a different way. Uh, that it just almost has has a bit of freshness to it. Um, they do a few clever things with with the zombies themselves as well, which which makes it more interesting. And you know, you get the typical array of characters: some that are incredibly selfish, some that kind of you know, there's there's very different reactions and response to this to this kind of. I guess it's like a localized. You, you're seeing. They say you're seeing this ge- geographic story unfold um, as a group of people on the train, just literally trying to get to where they're going. And as every each, each stop or each you know mile they take on this train, this whole horror is unfolding across the country. Yeah, doesn't it? It jumps from. I guess it starts well, to all intents and purposes, it starts on the train. Then there's the station, and then there's some like sort of freight train, and then there's a signal box, and and so <laughs> it's just like there's just all these different, the variations of the threat, mm. and they're all each of them is really well, I don't know, just what's sort of deployed, you know, everyone, so you get a real sense of, I know, there's, def- there's definitely a freight train or something at the end, and you know people are hanging off and and fisticuffs and all that sort of stuff, you know, I mean all all traditional stuff, but. You, you get a real sense of the places and the spaces that are involved, uh, which I think that's what I really like. But you're right, there's also, there's the incredibly selfish so businessman and, um, and you're, you know, so there are villains, that, um, 
there are you know people with human desires and motives who are the real villains rather than you know the, the zombies are just this force of nature uh, nature aren't they but yeah, it's kind of strange because also, um, you know, Trains of Persan, it only came out a couple of years ago. Um, you, apart from, you know, TV shows uh, that keep coming out um, about various different forms of apocalypse, it, it felt like the, the zombie, uh, what's the word, the whole zeitgeist around zombies it was sort of over. And then for... Um, you know, uh, a Korean film company, or to 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 do something so so heavily derivative of other films, yet executed on a scale and budget. I mean, it's brilliantly acted as well. It doesn't feel like you're watching. Uh, it's it's definitely not B movie fodder, and you know, it it did so well at their their own cinemas, and I don't know what what it grossed across. Um, Europe and America but yeah it's a fantastic film they also there's an anime called Soul Station so they did a they did an animated film which is the prequel which is also pretty good um you know very dark um fits the tone of the of the uh the first film very well I was thinking something we haven't really talked about uh is gore uh, <laughs> no, that's true. So you know, because basically the, zo- the zombie, all the zombies that we have talked about, uh, well, most of them eat brains, don't they? Um, almost ninety percent of them eat brains. <laughs> yeah. Um, but in, I think in the films we've mentioned, no one goes. Does anyone go brains? No, I, I, I guess not. I mean, I, I kind of, I think that's one of the most. I don't know tedious aspect I find about zombie films it's like every every B movie you watch every every time someone's come up with an interesting concept or angle or take on uh, a zombie film they feel absolutely <laughs> obliged like that they can't do a zombie film without having the obligatory more and more elaborate ways someone gets ripped apart and eaten and don't get me wrong <laughs> you know it's all good (laughs) crunchy fun but it's sort of done to the point where you know if you if you think of something like zombie and yeah uh zombie 2 or the Mm -hmm. aforementioned the is it the eye through the keyhole yeah yeah and the yeah the wooden shard that goes into that yeah i think i think you know all physical effects that have been done to to basically liberate uh people of their various different limbs, faculties and organs has sort of been done and I, and I never really understood because if you think of if you think of zombies and you think of the, the typical virus, the virus needs to survive and to survive it needs to infect new hosts and that always kind of made sense so fine, fair enough they need to bite it's an efficient way of passing on the infection by biting someone but the whole eating someone, because I, I, they, you know, they're, they're dead. They can't, they don't have a working stomach or any working organs. I never really understood, you know, or understand how they're supposed to keep living and, and existing when you think, you know, another kind of popular, you know, thing with zombies is they're walking around, they're missing their limbs, they're missing their bottom half of their body. It's, it's like, it's only the brain 
that needs to be alive. In most cases, don't get me wrong, I've seen some films where they've played with that and, and basically they start shooting people in the head, shooting zombies in the head, it doesn't kill them. Which is, is actually quite fun because if, yeah. if you think about all zombie films, or at least a lot of the most modern zombie films, you know, the way you kill them is to either you know shoot them in the head, stab them in the head, cut their head off. If you actually had a world where that didn't work, then yeah, then you really would be uh, quote unquote shitting it even more. Because also in Twenty Eight Days Later, um, the first film, they starve. Right yeah. at the end, they starve the zombies. Okay. They literally just start dying because of starvation. And what are they eating? Well, I guess they run out of people to eat because oh, okay. they don't they don't eat each other. And that's another thing, and that's another thing uh, to mention. In, in some films, zombies do start eating each other, but yeah, again, another another play on the uh, the various rules of fun that you can have with the undead. But yeah, um, I, that's another thing I don't understand because in in Twenty Eight Days Later, they're suggesting that I don't know they they they've got no one else to pass the infection onto, so that they don't. Oh. So they die, or or they literally just no one to munch on. Hmm. And they need blood. Yeah, I I've never really understood the the notion of why another zombie needs to eat living flesh of something mm-hmm. else. Because in a lot of cases, it's like well, they get if you get bitten, mm-hmm. you know, incidentally bitten, usually in a in a fight, then the zombie hasn't finished doing what it needed to do, which is yeah, to yeah, feed yeah. on you. But the but the bite is what changes you usually it kills you brings you back to life or it infects you and turns you into a zombie so it's like well so if all zombies did was uh feed on other humans and the humans just would you know ripped to pieces then they're they're not gonna become zombies so hmm. yeah lots of so tools there are they bite are zombies biters or eaters is that there yeah i guess so and why do they want to eat brains there's even there's even a, a series called I Zombie, which I'm sure uh, many of you have watched. It's it's fairly entertaining, but the notion of that is that if someone, I think it's, it's also a series of um, graphic novels, I think comics, graphic novels, might have that right. But the notion is this: this woman, uh, if she so she's a zombie, and if she eats someone else's brain, she gets their memories. Ah, and it's used as she's kind of almost like a Sherlock Holmes of zombies so she yeah, goes to crime scenes somehow or you know finds a way to work with the uh, the autopsy person the <laughs> doctor to get a, a sample of their brain and then find out what happened to them which mm-hmm. don't get me wrong it's a it's a brilliant concept but on a scientific level how does any of that work <laughs> how how does ingesting a brain give you someone's memory when we all know what you know what happens when we ingest something or does a zombie not ingest I don't know there you go <laughs> one for another debate should we do some honourable mentions because there are there are so many films um, on this list that we we could talk about Colin you, you go first you go for any any other film that you think could have been in this top ten well definitely like I was thinking I would go back and watch you know, White Zombie, I Walk With a Zombie, Play Good Zombies. <laughs> uh, it's because I didn't even remember them. Uh, 
But I, I seem to remember White Zombie and I Walk with a Zombie, very kind of dream-like, so black and white films, um, probably set in yeah, the West Indies, Hollywood version of the West Indies. Yeah, I guess going off in different ways. Uh, De the Dead, um, which I remember reviewing ages ago, that's a, that's an interesting take on that, isn't it? Because it's set in Africa. Yes, yeah, yeah. so sub-Saharan Africa, I think, and then a lot of the actors are obviously locals. Like, yeah, disabled like locals. A lot of them have missing body parts. And it was interesting because yeah, you you don't you it's set in a location that that gives it a different, I don't know, just a different feel or a different threat level. But then, because of where it is, and because of the sort of distressed people you see in the film, uh, you also the other you know genre it's referring to is yeah you know, things of you know um, famine and um, so sort of real uh, real events that happen in uh, places like Africa where there are these you know famines and uh, so that's a that's. I mean, I, I'd have to see it again, but it, it's a clever blend, isn't it, of mm. two fear, two, well, on the one hand, they're fears, and on the other hand, they're just fucking terrible events, you know. Mm. Um, Probably telling us, I, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not saying this is the, the, the moral message behind it, but it kind of does make you think that in a lot of kind of outbreaks, you would kind of easily expect... Uh, if if there was any kind of uh, e epidemic, pandemic, whatever you call it, to happen, you wouldn't blink twice if they told you it was out in some remote part of uh, Africa or mm -hmm. rainforest or some kind of um, tribe somewhere. But yeah, no, no, the, the Ford brothers did, did both films, I think, and they were okay. they they they're beautifully shot. The only, the only thing I feel about them is I just wish I could come up with a, a different name because when I when you first hear something called The Dead you immediately presume it's a, a you know, fairly generic zombie film yeah. that's sort of um, uh, you know, existed uh, for a long time whereas it's not it's a, they're, they're very recent films and they're very you know, they, they deserve um, a great deal of credit um, Another one that I really enjoyed which has been done it's been done, the, the same kind of idea has been done a few times now, uh, which is warm bodies um, and, and the idea being the, the kind of inner monologue, giving, giving the zombie a voice, mm -hmm. um, which is quite nice. So yeah, another, another thing uh, warm bodies kind of reminds me of is in the flesh. Uh, a zombie has, has thoughts, feelings and memories while it's a zombie and can become human again. And obviously, in warm bodies, it's all about literally zombies who have suffered this transformation, this this virus, and being treated like you know this this plague of undead that must be exterminated. Then actually, relearning to become human again, um, and in the the TV series, it's it's similar as in the the, the zombies get cured and then they become human again. And then they have to live with the fact they've literally eaten their friends and killed their families and stuff like that, and they have to come back. <laughs> um, but it's it's all set in a very small 
you know, very local inverted commas town. Mm. So not only do you have the the whole well, you're you're kind of treating the zombie thing like prejudice mm-hmm. and xenophobia and racism, and in this case, homophobia, because it turns out that uh, some of the characters um, are are gay, and it's like the the way people are treating got zombies for or rather rec- <laughs> what's the word rehabilitated zombies mm-hmm. yeah that's interesting I uh, thought but yeah they're they're treating them with the same prejudices as people who are uh, you know are foreign who who are just whatever doesn't mm-hmm. fit into a small town community so it, it's very it's very cleverly done I don't know I think we have to mention brain dead really because that is technically mm. I imagine that's a bit more. It was it was it an evil monkey that, that bites the woman? Yeah, so yeah, I think so. Yeah. So this is a Peter Jackson film. Was it? It was kind of his breakthrough. Wasn't was it? it? Or was that? I always get confused between Brain Dead and Bad Taste. And Bad Taste. So bad Taste like, came first. Yeah. And then Brain Dead. And then Brain Dead yeah. was the, the Peter Jackson sequel. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. Many many people didn't realize or don't realize. I didn't realize that Peter Jackson before he was. Um, getting paid billions of pounds to do uh, Lord of the Rings franchises, he was making some of the biggest, sh- biggest goofiest <laughs> horror films, I, and it's really kind of hideously <laughs> pukey gore, isn't it? There's this is another story that well, obviously good publicity for that film, but the the British Board of Film Censoring uh, said that. Uh, it was by far the goriest film they'd ever seen, but because the gore was bright green, they couldn't really complain. <laughs> so I think it got passed uncut, despite the fact that um, there's this bit. There's a isn't there this famous bit where somebody's the there's a sort of, um, boyfriend girlfriend duo, and at one point they're axing zombies up. He's axing them up, and then she's sticking the body parts in a liquid in a liquidizer. Uh, just to get them cut out of the way or something. <laughs> As you do. <laughs> like a cheeky uh, zombie cocktail. Or yeah. I remember, I, I don't, I think my, my brain has tried to edit it out of my memories, but isn't there a scene at the table where they're eating? Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, that's fairly. Uh, yeah, and some good sound effects on that bit. <laughs> really... I think, yeah, I, I think we, we, we were touching on it uh, earlier, but there are so many. The, so many special and physical effects that have been first pioneered in horror films before you know Hollywood got near any of these things and definitely uh, the zombie films can uh, tick a few boxes so how how some of the things you now probably see and take for granted on television and film and Netflix was all only exists because someone decided they they wanted to decapitate humans and zombies in very uh, innovative ways so glory be to that yeah absolutely well I think we've come to a natural conclusion we're literally at the end of our first horror cast Uh, I hope you enjoyed it I will put some links uh, to the full article on Horror Island where you can read all about the top 10 zombie films uh, from myself and Colin. Uh, we'll try and maybe give some uh, uh, other examples uh, and uh, other films that didn't quite make the cut. So 
uh, yeah I hope you check it out and uh, join us next time bye